One of the first things that I had to embrace was the idea that I didn't fit the traditional mold of an entrepreneur. When people think entrepreneur, they think of Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, or Warren Buffett. And what you'll notice is none of them are trans, none of them are asylum seekers, and none of them are Asian. But while that was tough to deal with, I really came to realize that being different means thinking and seeing things differently. When I reflected on that thought of I don't fit in here, I sort of approached it in a different way. I don't fit in here means I can do things differently. I don't fit in here means I'm unique and I'm going to use that to my advantage. I don't fit in here means I have an outside perspective. Welcome, I'm your host Dino Cattaneo and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. Last week, we talked to Isabella Mendes, who, even though she just finished her freshman year in college, just started Girls Who VC, an organization designed to get more venture capital opportunities for women, both as founders and as participants in the actual industry. Our guest today is another young founder. She was able to launch and grow her business without any VC support. Vera Sher is an Asian trans woman who moved to the U.S. as an asylum seeker to escape persecution. She was able to launch Lechery, an hosiery business which, in a very short amount of time, went from selling out of her own apartment to the shelves of many big box retailers. Her story is a story of true entrepreneurship and resourcefulness. In our conversation, Vera shared how she escaped into the United States, some of the challenges she has to face as an asylum seeker, and how those challenges propelled her to start her own business. She also talked about how her personal perspective helped her build a community and find an underserved segment in her market that helped her create a compelling brand. This is a very important episode for me, but I have to warn you. Vera also talked about some of the trauma that she had to endure and how sexual harassment is still very present in the corporate world. So if you're triggered by these topics, you may want to consider whether you want to continue listening. Let's start the same way that I start every podcast. Why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and tell as much or as little as you want? Well, first off, thank you so much for inviting me over to your show. I've listened to quite a few episodes of Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, and I'm just honored to be here. For the people who don't know me, my name is Vera Sher. I'm a 24-year-old transgender woman, immigrant, and founder of Lechery. Lechery is a New York City-based hosiery, socks, and shapewear company. I started this company two and a half years ago in my small shoebox apartment on the Upper East Side, fulfilling one order every other day with like literally $1,200 in my name. And fast forward two years later, we're now available in a lot of the big box retailers like Target, Macy's, Kohl's, Nordstrom, you name it. 
And just to give you some context about my background. So I'm Asian and Jewish. I grew up in a very abusive household. My brother's father, uncle were emotionally, physically, and sexually abusive growing up. And so I decided to flee from them. And that took me to Qatar. So I was in Qatar to pursue a study abroad program because I really wanted to immerse myself in the Arab culture. However, that didn't last very long because I was detained for a crime that they would describe for homosexual behavior. Essentially, what happened was I was caught wearing makeup, very minimal makeup, and a bra underneath my hoodie. So just to emphasize, a bra underneath my hoodie. And I was at this mall, and I didn't know I was being followed by this undercover policeman. And he told me to come with him. And I followed because you don't question the locals. And so I followed him and he brought me to this room and started interrogating me. And so that led to a few hours of interrogation. Then they placed me at a police station. And then that ultimately led to my deportation If I didn't leave Qatar, I would have gone to prison. So I really had no option. I didn't want to go to prison for being me. And so I can no longer go back to Qatar. I'm blacklisted from Qatar and the rest of the GCC countries. And so that's when I decided to move to the United States to seek asylum. I sought asylum and... I was actually going to go to the U.S. to also study. However, I was cut off I, from my ex-family. And so I was forced to, to drop out of school. And so that's when I decided to move to New York City with $1,200 in my name, pursued a bunch of unpaid internships, lived off of stipends. And then I eventually managed to land a showroom job But that didn't last very long because of COVID. And so, again, my bubble burst. And at that time, I really didn't know what I was going to do with my life because I'm a transgender woman. I had no social security. I didn't have a work authorization. And so when you add those things up, it's like virtually impossible to even get a job. And so during those times, there was this theme of uncertainty and fear. And I really wanted to just take ownership of something of my life. And so I decided to venture into entrepreneurship as I waited for my immigration papers to be processed. And that's when I decided to start Lechery. So you are in your room in COVID and you've now come to the decision to start your own business. 
What were your goals for the business at the beginning? And what were some of the first steps that you took? Just to be clear, I started my business because I really had no option during that time period. I was unemployable, like I said, for for those reasons. And so I didn't have an option, but I've always wanted to start my own business growing up, something to do with fashion, but it obviously came sooner than I expected. I always tell people that lechery was really my way of reclaiming the years lost when I wasn't living my true authentic self. Almost two decades of my life were taken away from me because of the past traumas that I had to deal with growing up in this abusive household. Whenever I would look into the mirror, like I just didn't like what I was seeing. Like I didn't feel sexy in my body because really these experiences that I had to go through growing up made me hate myself. And so I focused on hosiery because this was an accessory that I discovered during another traumatic experience. A stranger was running his hand up my legs when I was 17 years old. And at this very moment, I felt this sense of powerlessness and ultra vulnerability in which I just wished I had some sort of protection, some armor against what was happening. And when I saw that my mother had a pair of pantyhose in her closet, I borrowed it and went to my room and tried it on for the first time. And that's when I started incorporating hosiery in my daily life. And that feeling when I first tried on that, that first pair of pantyhose, I just felt the sense of desire that I felt beautiful. And so it really gave me this sense of second skin fashion armor that meant I would never ever have to feel so bare or unprotected as I did when that stranger was running his hand up my legs. And that's really why I decided to focus on hosiery at the beginning of lechery. And so not a lot of people know about this, but prior to lechery being what it is today, I started lechery as a blog and it was called lecherylady.com. I was lechery lady. And this blog was a place for me to really share and talk about my experiences of what makes me a transgender woman feel sexy. And obviously to me, that was hosiery. And so over the few months that I was doing this blog, I gained thousands of monthly readers. I garnered a lot of attention. And so that's when I decided to upgrade from a blog to a forum. And that forum was created so that other people who were part of you know, the non-binary community, people who were part of the body positivity community would have 
an opportunity to talk about what makes them feel sexy. And so I would interview hundreds of people and just highlight them. And so this forum was a place for people to have a voice and speak about what makes them feel sexy without judgment. And we really became this huge community. And so about the product, as a transgender woman, I mean, I've always had trouble finding a pair of tights that would fit me comfortably without digging waistbands or, you know, tearing after a single wear. And that's when I decided that we're going to create tights that are different from our competitors in which we would have basically reinforced toes, reinforced heels for extra durability, comfort waistbands so that people of all sizes can wear our products and using 3D knit technology and double covered lycra yarns that you know helps ensure maximum stretch and recovery. And from there, we, we branched into socks, arm tights, and shapewear. So basically the vision here is the same way that many people think of the tablet, they immediately think of the iPad. We want to be what everyone thinks of when they think hosiery, but for everyone, you know, regardless of age, regardless of their gender, regardless of their skin tone, what have you. And so we, we really want to be your go-to brand for anything hosiery related that would evoke this feeling of sexiness. And so when you buy a pair of our tights on the packaging, like it would always say, Lechery is the sanctuary for the sexy you because that's our tagline. Our mission here is to create products and a space in which people can feel comfortable in expressing their sexiest selves. We, we really want to bring that desire, that sense of comfort when feeling sexy, when they wear lechery. The process of going from shaping the vision to building the business, what were some of the key steps in that process? You know, from going from you have this community, which I assume was your initial sort of like very strong customer base to making the first sample and selling it. And then now you're a company that, as you mentioned, is in a lot of the box retailers. What were some of like the most important steps? The most important step here is to obviously have a mission and a purpose behind the brand that's always the first step. And obviously, having ambition, you got to be an ambitious leader, an ambitious entrepreneur to get to where you want to be. And so I think those are the first two things that you would need in order to get your business where you want it to be. And so when I finally started my business, getting my immigration papers processed, I decided to really focus on a trend model as opposed to focusing on five SKUs. 
a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs who have started their own apparel company, they would have a focus. But I decided to focus on just creating as many different variations of our tights because we really wanted to dominate this category. And that's when I decided that we're going to start reaching out to all the big box retailers because prior to Lechery, I had experience at a showroom and I already had contacts from a lot of these big box retailers. And I just had to cold call. I was cold emailing a lot of these people, telling them that I started this hosiery company and just pitched him. And that was really like the first step here, I would say. Having ambition, having a goal, having a mission and purpose behind the brand, and then figuring out the product For us, hosiery is like not a very expensive commodity. And I I didn't need like VC capital or VC funding. Like I I started this again with like $1,200 in my name. And so once I figured out that there was a gap in the market, that's when I decided to differentiate ourselves from the rest of the competition by marketing us as a gender neutral hosiery brand because traditionally speaking, hosiery is something that women wear and there wasn't any brand out there who was catering to men. And our very first customers were actually men, men who worked in construction sites because during the cold months of winter, a lot of these construction workers would wear two layers of jeans, but obviously that's so uncomfortable. And that's when I saw, or when when someone reached out to me that they would actually go hide this from their wives, that they would wear a pair of tights underneath instead of another layer of jeans. And that's when I was like, okay, there's definitely market here. And so we're going to, you know, cater to men as well. And that's when we basically flourished as a gender neutral hosiery brand. You said a little earlier, you use the term ambitious leadership, which is a fabulous term. How has embracing your full identity and your full authenticity shaped the way that you think yourself as a leader? One of the first things that I had to embrace was the idea that I didn't fit the traditional mold of an entrepreneur. For example, when people think entrepreneur, they think of Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, or Warren Buffett. And what you'll notice is none of them are trans, none of them are asylum seekers, and none of them are Asian. But while that was tough to deal with at first, I I really came to realize that being different means thinking and seeing things differently. 
Like a few weeks ago, I went to a meeting with other C-suite executives and founders. And I quickly looked at, at the list of attendees. And a lot of them were mostly cis white men who've been featured on Forbes or Fortune. And my immediate thought was, fuck, I don't fit in here. But then when I you know, reflected on that thought of I don't fit in here, I sort of approached it in a different way. Because sometimes I don't fit in here means I can do things differently. I don't fit in here means I'm unique and I'm going to use that to my advantage. I don't fit in here means... I have an outside perspective that's not the same as all the other Joes and Janes that were invited to the same table with the same pedigree. So in a way, sometimes not fitting in here and being different is a good thing. And once I've embraced that, that's when I I started taking it as a way of my superpower. Like they say, you can't be special without being different. So now I enjoy being different. That's fabulous. And then as you think about the team that you lead, the people that you work with, how do you think about the leader that you aspire to be for them? We would always have a round table every Friday to discuss what we did well and what we could have done better during a particular week. And I think as a leader, it's always important to speak with your team and be transparent about whatever is happening within your business. So I am still working on a lot of these things uh, as a young founder. But obviously, I think empathy is a huge trait that well, the the ability to empathize is a huge trait that leaders should possess. Because the moment you see one of your employees not feeling well, and you tell them to go work, but they're not feeling 100%, then they're just going to half-ass whatever job or task that they were assigned. And so when... I see one of my employees feel that way where they're just not having a great day. I would tell them to take a break, go for a walk and come back whenever you're ready. And I'd rather have them do work at full capacity than have them, you know, half-ass anything. And also learning how to create boundaries and when to create boundaries as a very important thing. I feel like a lot of smaller companies don't balance what's best for the company versus what's going to make them likable to their employees. It's obviously great to be close with the people you work with. But at the same time, you can't really sacrifice success for likability. Because that will essentially set you both up for failure. Business is business. 
you need to make money. I like to follow this mantra from my lawyer in which she says, money talks and bullshit walks. And another thing is admitting that I'm not the best at everything. You know, I may know what's good for the business, but I really do value everyone's opinion and input when it comes to the business. I'm not the best when it comes to content creation or marketing. Like that's just like not my forte, but you can always learn from the people that you work with. And obviously there's the communication and transparency part of being a leader. You got to be transparent. If there's something wrong with a business, if you can't meet their payrolls, if, an emergency happened. So being communicative and being transparent is key. That's very wise. There's leaders that are twice your age who are not yet at that point. So I want to ask you a question. We met because you had some wonderful posts on LinkedIn. And in a couple of them, you've been pretty vocal about the challenges that you faced raising capital. And I'm wondering if you would be willing and comfortable sharing one example or a couple examples of those. I've been pretty candid about them um, on LinkedIn. So I can definitely share a few. I would say that obviously starting my business in the US as an asylum seeker has been by far the biggest challenge because at that time... I didn't know any entrepreneurs who were in the same situation that I was in. When I needed to start Letry, I didn't really have a manual or a how-to guide on how to start a business as an asylum seeker. There's so many guides out there on the internet, but those really applied only for like American-born citizens. So I needed to just figure it out on my own. So just to give you some context, it took me two years to get my social security and my work authorization. So I remember when I was just starting Letry as like a side gig on top of, you know, pursuing internships, customers couldn't even pay with their credit card. Like they would have to create like an Amazon pay account Because at that time, Amazon Pay just required you to have like a a bank account. And so that was really my only payment option. And so it was very difficult having to tell customers, my very first customers, to purchase with an Amazon Pay account. They would often find it sketchy. They would be like, why can't I pay with my credit card or like through PayPal? And I just didn't tell them that, look, I am an asylum seeker. I would just give them because that's the only option that we have. And so that was very difficult converting these visitors into customers when they could only pay with like one option. But then obviously when I got my social security number, my work authorization card and my immigration papers processed, that was like my golden ticket to all the partnerships that I had 
or that I currently have right now. It was really a, a godsend. I was able to do wonders with the business, like scaling it to where it is today and going from this zero to seven figure business in, in less than two years. That said, we're, we're still a very bootstrap business. There have been months when I would be afraid in not meeting payrolls or making payments on time. It's quite challenging running your own business when you have very few resources available and when you're not backed by a VC um, firm or an angel investor. And like I said, I I started this with pretty much $1,000 in my name. Obviously, there's a a general issue with you know, diverse founders raising capital. What were some of the challenges that you faced with the VC community? And and what's your expectation maybe going forward now that the business is a little more established? I'm not foreign to rejections or being told you can't. Some people would use that and just go with it and prove the people who told them those words right. However, I embrace rejection. I embrace being told you can't and being insulted because my entire life was filled with the intricacies of rejection. And I've learned to use that as fuel to really prove people wrong. However, when it comes to raising capital as a woman and being in a room filled with misogynistic men, that's a different story. I mean, any woman, regardless if you're trans, cis, whatever, would agree to this, regardless what industry you're in. There was like this article that was published by Bloomberg in which female founders secured only 2% of VC funding in 2021. And just thinking about it, it's crazy to think that all, all that money is just going to male founders. So in addition to all the other challenges that women have to face in business, it's also exponentially harder to get the same opportunity with raising capital versus what men have. It's like the the disparity is just crazy. And for one, I, I know what it feels like to pitch in boardrooms, get laughed at, be demeaned and condescended to by these VCs. But one particular experience that really stopped me from continuing on the VC route was when I connected with this man who is very popular, very well known in the VC finance world here in New York. And he's pretty much like the head honcho of like, this VC firm. And I was able to schedule a meeting with him. I guess I caught his attention because I'm young and I have a fashion brand. And and that's something that intrigued him. And so we, we met at this coffee shop in Midtown. 
And I, I gave him this pitch, gave him the, the presentation, and he was very much intrigued with the business. And, and he was like, Vera, I love your business. I would love to help you. Let me know how, blah, blah. And he was like, do you want to come to my office? It's literally upstairs. And I was like, yeah, why not? And so he gave me a tour of his office. And it was a huge, it was basically an entire floor. And he was like, Vera, if you need anything, you can rent this space. I'm, I'm here for you. I know we just met. But I do have a call that I have to take in um, momentarily. But I'd love to schedule uh, another meeting with you, perhaps lunch next week. And I was like, hell yeah. Because like, obviously, as uh, a young founder who is naive, I, I thought that was like the next step to getting funding. And so I meet this guy the following week at this very upscale restaurant. And we were both, you know, dressed more formally. And we discussed more about lechery, the vision, the goal here. And personal questions started to arise. Something that was just irrelevant to the business. Like, are you a model? Do you have a boyfriend? That made me feel uncomfortable. And at this point, it wasn't about my business anymore. It was more so about me. And I just had a few glasses of wine. I had two glasses of wine. And I was starting to feel woozy and dizzy. Like I was seeing rainbows. And the next thing I notice, I wake up in this pitch black room and I was essentially drugged. And I know what drunk feels like. This wasn't drunk. I was drugged. And when I was at in this room, I could see this, blurry picture of him and hearing his voice while I was on the floor and he was saying things like you're so beautiful do you want to sit on my lap I'm gonna go take care of you it was just like in hindsight an experience that gave me flashbacks of what I had to go through growing up And thankfully, he had another call that he had to take. And so he left the room. And that's when I took my phone out from my purse and told myself, you got to get the fuck out of this situation right now. And so I texted my friend. I called an Uber And when the Uber came, I rushed my way down, forced myself to get up. And I told my friend about this and he called, you know, 911 and the paramedics and they came to my 
apartment and I said nothing. I didn't say a word. I didn't share who the person was. And that's what made me stop this, the, the VC route essentially. And despite the Me Too movement, even though more and more people are openly speaking up about, you know, their sexual abuse stories, there are still people who fear in doing so. And a lot of people don't understand when women say it's a man's world. But just to convey a small idea of what that means, please understand that I'm not comfortable standing up to this guy, this VC, and certainly not speaking publicly about him, what his name is, because he has significant power and influence. So even though I have this quote unquote success, like I still fear for this guy. And I, I share this story to shed light because sexual harassment and abuse is still very much prominent in the workplace. Vera, I know it's not easy to share stories like this and it takes a lot of courage. So thank you very much for sharing it with our listeners. Um, I'm going to take a quick pause here. And before we go to the next questions, if our listeners want to find Lechery or you online or on the socials, where can they go? If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, Lechery.official. Great. And the website is Lechery.com? The website is LetteryNewYork.com. Okay, fabulous. Now we're going to move to what I call the quote-unquote personal section of the podcast. The first question is, do you have an interest or a passion outside of work and how does that inform your work? I do have quite a few. I like to play the piano. Playing the piano makes me feel grounded, helps my creative juices flowing. There's something about playing classical music, particularly Chopin, that keeps my sanity and focus going. In terms of like my physical health, I love running. I enjoy running around the reservoir in Central Park and seeing, you know, the skyscrapers surround me. What I love about running is that it just prevents me from feeling stressed and grossed out about myself. And as a leader, I, I care about how I present myself. And so I, I remain physically fit through running. And lastly, I, I really enjoy listening to podcasts such as yours. Some of my other favorite podcasts, aside from Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, are Diary of a CEO with Stephen Bartlett and Hilo with Emrata, aka Emily Ratajkowski. Listening to stories of other founders 
and people with influence really gives me some perspective on how everyone's journey is different, but we all have something in common that we're all hungry. We're all ambitious. And I like taking bits and pieces from everyone's journey that I find inspirational. That's great. Second question. This is my favorite question of the podcast. As you probably have heard since you've listened to the podcast, every era has business expressions or cliches that at some point are so overused that they lose meaning. Which is the one that drives you crazy? Well, I hope you don't hate me for this, but... I find it viscerally annoying when people say, be your authentic self. Like I told you last week, I I attended the Grow Summit and the Lead Summit that happened in New York. I kid you not, there were several panelists that said this advice, this very inauthentic advice of be your authentic self. And to me, if you're an asshole, you need to be someone else. Don't be an asshole. And another one that frustrates me is you're so candid or you're so honest. The fact that people are so dishonest that we feel the need to point out how special it is simply to be honest shows just how screwed up the business world is. It's like, what do you come up with something the moment you wake up? You know, it's like, it it doesn't make sense to me. Like, obviously I want to be honest. Like it's tiring not being honest. Thank you so much. It's kind of funny. I've I've been thinking about this for a while, the idea that authentic may have jumped the shark. And I was wondering if somebody was going to bring it up before episode 100. And you did it. So thank you very much. Final question. uh, I call it food for the body or food for the soul. And you can choose the body route. It would be give me a recipe or a drink, something that you find really inspiring or nourishing right now. Or if you want to go the soul route, a book, a piece of music, a movie, piece of art, sculpture, something that right now you really love to and go to when when you want to get some spiritual nourishment? I would go for food for the soul. Like I mentioned, I've been enjoying listening to Hilo with Emrata. She really talks about everything from politics philosophy, mental health, feminism to sex. And that has truly helped me enter my, as she would put it, bitch era, not taking shit from anyone simply because I'm a woman. Vera, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, for being so transparent. And congratulations on where you got so far and good luck with your business. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, find a friend who may enjoy it and tell them that they should listen to it. And if you really like the show, tell all your friends and post about it on social media. Every little bit helps. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any episode. 
And if you listen on a platform that allows reviews like Apple, Podcasts, Audible, Good Pods, please leave us a stellar rating and a review. Five stars all the way. Stick around because after the credits, I'm going to play a song by Susan Cattaneo, one of Boston's best Americana singer-songwriters. For more information and all the links, go to the website al4ep.com, spelled with the number four. You can email me at dino at al4ep.com. And please follow the podcast on all the social platforms that you're on. On Twitter and Instagram, you can find us at al4edp with the letter D. And on Facebook, look for Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was produced by me, Dino Cattaneo, with additional edits by Pro Podcast Solutions. It was recorded remotely using Squadcast.fm. The theme music was composed, produced and arranged by Nicolas Cattaneo, who played keyboards and drums with Tony Savarino on guitars and Jesse Williams on bass. And now here's a song from Susan Cattaneo. It's called Follow, and you can find it on her album All Is Quiet. Let her lead, let her go She always knows the right way Let her fly, she is wise She always finds the right way
always know. 